Hi, I'm Wendy Dean. And I'm Simon Talbot. And this is Moral Matters. Today we are speaking with Leslie Flores. Uh, Leslie Flores is a founding partner of Nelson Flores Hospital Medicine Consultants. And what she brings today is an interesting perspective as a former executive level healthcare administrator, mainly working with hospitalists. Um, but she found that she struggled to provide healthcare the way that she wanted to provide it. And so she moved into a position as a healthcare management consultant. And she's been doing this since 1999. She's the author of a number of uh, really interesting articles, including Seven Ways Hospital Executives Can Support Their Staff and How Physicians and Administrators Can Get to a Place of Greater Trust. Let's have a listen. Leslie Flores, thank you so much for joining us today. I have followed the work that you've done and some of the writing that you've done for a while now, and I thought it would be really great for our listeners to get your perspective. Can you just tell folks a little bit about what your background is? Well, thanks for having me, first of all. And um, yeah, my background is actually in hospital administration. So I have a master's degree in healthcare administration from the University of Minnesota and uh, spent the early part of my career in hospital administration where I did a variety of things, everything from general operations to uh, managed care to marketing and business development and uh, got involved in physician recruitment and physician practice development, which is really how I got interested in the world of hospitalists. And so uh, when the time was right, I left hospital administration and uh, embarked on a second career doing consulting, management consulting really with hospital medicine practices around the country. And uh, have done that for about 17 years. And when you say management consulting, what does that look like for those of us who haven't been in, in that world? Well, when so I have a business partner who is a physician himself, Dr. John Nelson. And when we first started doing this work together, uh, hospitals, a lot of hospitals in 2004, 2005, 2006 didn't have hospitalist programs and weren't really sure uh, if they needed one or not. So we would get calls from hospitals saying, hey, this sounds like an interesting practice model. We think that we might want to do that here, but we're not quite sure how to go about figuring it out. Could you come help us do a, maybe do a feasibility assessment and uh, give us a roadmap, help us to figure out how to start our own hospitalist program. So most of the work we did in the early years was helping hospitals start hospitalist programs. And then of course they became much more common. Every, most every hospital has one now. And so our work uh, evolved and morphed into working with existing hospitalist programs, either programs that were in crisis and needed help uh, or programs that were stable and doing fine, but uh, just uh, somebody wanted to kind of do a well baby checkup on them and see how things were going and what kinds of improvements could be made. So, so we uh, look at everything from um, workload and staffing needs to schedules to uh, compensation models and employment agreements to what kinds of infrastructure and support hospitalist practices need to be successful. And then more and more often in recent years, we've focused on that really interesting intersection between uh, 
operations of a hospitalist practice and the hospitalist's um, contribution to overall hospital performance. So uh, it's commonly said of hospitalists that hospitalists have two patients. One of them is the patient in the bed in front of them, and the other is the kind of sick hospital system or healthcare system in which they work. And so we want to help hospitalist groups uh, succeed in supporting their hospitals in getting better at providing high quality, uh, efficient, effective patient care. So a lot of uh, our work has been around quality improvement initiatives, how you measure hospitalist performance, how hospitalists interact with other staff in the hospitals, nurses, um, other ancillary clinicians, other medical staff specialties uh, to, to uh, be effective in caring for the patients and making the hospital uh, an effective place. Leslie, one of the things that I'm very fascinated in your background are some of the articles you've written about this interface between physicians and administrators. And I think that that's of tremendous interest to working physicians. Can you give a little background on sort of the the most important things out there for physicians and administrators to trust one another? And I, I want to say again, but I'm just going to leave it at that, to trust one another. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not sure they've ever really trusted each other, but I do think that early in my career, there was much more uh, collegiality uh, between hospital administrators and physicians. People in those days kind of understood the lanes in which they uh, operated and respected each other's lanes and didn't try to get in them. And those... uh, the demarcations between the lanes have gotten a lot blurrier in recent years. And I think that's created a lot of uh, challenges for both hospital administrators and doctors. So um, when I think about the challenges that hospital administrators and doctors face, to me, most of it comes down to the fact that um, both specialties, if you will, uh, or both professions uh, come into healthcare from very different places, and so they. And there's nothing either in medical school, a residency, or or in the kinds of training that most hospital administrators receive, if they're non-clinicians, that that really helps them understand the other side's perspective and point of view. So to me, one of the most important pieces of this is for both hospital administrators and doctors to to invest energy and effort in understanding the broader picture of the healthcare environment in which they both work and the the issues and the stressors uh, that the the other uh, side or the other profession faces in the work they're trying to do. Yeah, I love that concept of we just don't know each other well enough, right? We need to be curious about what the other is facing in order to get to a place where we can start working together better, where there's less friction. Right. So one of the interesting things that you and I spoke about when we were preparing for this conversation was how you transitioned out of your role as an administrator And I'd love for you to share that. Yeah, I'd be happy to because I think it's really relevant. I uh, 
I spent enough time in hospital administration to understand that hospitals are very, very complex uh, organisms, and they are just increasingly uh, bureaucratic. And the people who run them very often, just by their training and by the nature, I think, of people who choose to go into healthcare administration, a lot of the folks that are responsible for um, running these organizations are pretty risk averse and uh, kind of uh, conservative, conservative, not in a political sense, but in terms of their decision-making style and processes. And I am much more of a let's just figure it out and go get it done kind of person. And I got pretty frustrated with the slow pace of decision-making and the risk aversion that I found in, in uh, hospitals. And I felt like it was getting in the way, really, of being able to move forward to do better things for patient care. And so uh, I ended up leaving hospital administration uh, kind of just out of frustration at not feeling like I was able to uh, get decisions made and move things forward uh, in the ways that I was hoping to. And so for a while, a couple of years, I just did kind of freelance project work for various hospitals. Um, I was based in the Los Angeles area and there's you know, plenty of, of organizations that need a little bit of help from the outside uh, for special projects. So anything from exploring possibly a new program or service a hospital might want to develop and writing a feasibility plan and, and uh, uh, for it uh, to um, going in and um, uh, evaluating existing programs uh, to help to make recommendations on improvements. A uh, little bit of the work I did had to do with uh, construction of new buildings and and how do you go about uh, getting all of the things done that you need to do to get all the licenses and approvals that you need from from local and um, county and state um, health authorities and other people that have to approve a building before you can move in and occupy it. So I was doing a wide variety of just project work like that uh, and then a mutual uh, acquaintance, a colleague, uh, introduced me to John Nelson, who eventually became my partner and uh, and connected us. And we found that um, we enjoyed working together, doing this consulting work, and that we had very complementary skills. So John likes to say that we can talk to both the ranchers and the farmers uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> be, because uh, you know, he speaks the physician's language and can relate to uh, their challenges and their sort of uh, uh, experiences, uh, life experiences and, and perspectives, and I can talk hospital administrator ease. So it's, it's kind of been a match made in heaven. Yeah. I think what's interesting is you left hospital administration because you knew what the organization needed and you couldn't get it for them. Yeah. And then you went out into this private model that almost sounds a little bit like a private practice or like DPC. So it, it's, a, it's a very common theme that physicians are doing as well, right? If they don't want to work within the bureaucracy of the hospital, they go out into a private practice. I think that's really fascinating. And I'd like to talk through a little bit more about sort of how you see not just the trust that we develop between the clinicians and the administrators, but how do we move forward 
to get us together to a better place in healthcare? I think where I would start with a conversation like that is that what I see on the part of both uh, hospital administrators, uh, at least I'm speaking now about hospital administrators that are non-clinicians, because increasingly you're finding people in uh, operational and leadership positions in hospitals that are doctors or nurses or, or clinicians, and they they are bringing those perspectives with them into those jobs. Um, but uh, but even when they do, sometimes they are seen as as uh, renegades by their true clinician colleagues uh, who, who feel that maybe they gave something up to go into hospital administration. But uh, I think the one of the things that's most important to me is that we find ways to overcome the silos uh, that grow out between. Uh, administrators who are attending to the business and operations of an organization and the clinicians who are actually practicing and caring for patients in, in those organizations, because those really should not be two completely separate um, uh, activities in an organization. They should be part and parcel of the same thing. And uh, administrators should care deeply, and I think most do on some level, about the care that's being delivered to patients in their institution. Uh, and, and I think uh, the clinicians should care deeply about the health of the institution itself, the organization, and how it operates. And, and uh, so breaking down those silos, and that's really hard to do because uh, a, everybody works really hard in healthcare, and nobody feels like they have to t the time to add one more thing to their plate. I will say that one of the things I do regret the most about my time in hospital administration is that I that I didn't make more effort to spend more time in patient care areas and with clinicians, um, watching them and talking with them and understanding. Uh, what they do and and their perspectives about their work in healthcare, and I, uh, when I see hospital administrators who are making time to do that, I just um, have so much respect for them, and um, and I think the same thing is true on the physician side. I'm not sure that I've ever heard a physician ask an administrator if, hey, could I come shadow you for a couple of days and see what your life is like in hospital administration? But I don't. I don't think it would be a bad thing to do because we just we need really badly to to understand uh, each other's worlds uh, a lot better and try to bring them closer together. Leslie, I'm going to ask a question very much along the lines of that. You wrote an article, Seven Ways Hospital Executives Can Support Their Staff. And in a minute, I'll get to that. But before we get there, I want to know what your seven ways that staff can support hospital executives Exactly as you were saying, you know, it would be great if people went to the C-suite and were interested, but what are the ways that physicians, many of whom uh, listen to this podcast, can support their administrators? Well, I wrote an article about that as well, actually, um, and I don't have the, all of them off the top of my head, but I know that uh, one of the things that really, um, that I think about a lot is is how hospital administrators tell me that they wish that the physicians would help them help them, you know, like help me help you. Um, the And I'm speaking now from the perspective of hospitalists because they're the doctors I know best and work most closely with. 
But hospitalists complain a lot that they don't have autonomy over their work. They complain a lot that they are not seen as peers and colleagues by the rest of the medical staff, that they um, are not respected, their opinions are not respected. And what I hear from hospital administrators is, yeah, that's true, but they structure their days so that they come in and work a 12-hour shift. They pick up their list of patients, they do their work, and then they go home. They are not, they don't express any interest in engaging more broadly uh, in organizational activities. They don't are unwilling to come in early or stay late when the when the need arises. They um, instead of dressing professionally, they come in wearing scrubs and tennis shoes. Instead of interacting as as colleagues with the doctors in the doctor's dining room or the cafeteria, they pick up their meals to go and head back to the hospitalist office to hunker down with their hospitalist fellows. And so, and then they wonder why they get treated like glorified residents. Well, in some ways it's because that's how they're acting. And so one of one of the things that, that I think is really important for doctors, hospitalists, and others who work in hospitals is to really think about the image that they're projecting and how uh, they are, how they are positioning themselves uh, to help hospital administration support them and help them. And I think there's an interesting corollary, a sort of a chicken and egg, right? Where the hospitalists don't know how they're perceived and they're being asked to stay late and engage more. Is there a model for them to do that? You know, for example, is the executive showing up on their floor after their day? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. It's a little bit of give and take who's going to give first. Right. And that's where the leadership starts to come in. And I don't mean leadership that only falls to the executives. I mean, anybody can be a leader by presenting that sort of behavior, that leading behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm going to step first. Yeah, I completely agree. And, um, and I do see that on both on both sides of the scale. Um, I, I think that it's easy for hospital executives because they are there a lot to just assume that doctors have and are willing to give a lot of uh, free, uncompensated time to do things like sit on committees and uh, engage in quality improvement projects and things like that. And, um, and it's those kinds of assumptions really that give us get us in trouble. I think when we make assumptions about other people's intentions or other people's um, willingness uh, or what we think they should or shouldn't be prepared to do without talking with them about it, that's, that's when we get ourselves in trouble on, on, on both sides. And uh, so finding ways to open up that communication between uh, hospital administrators and doctors, particularly around areas of expectations, uh, is really important. And I think that, um, sadly, hospital administrators often have greater expectations of their hospitalists in terms of their willingness to engage in organizational performance improvement kinds of activities and uh, spend extra time, if you will, supporting the organization than they do of uh, doctors and other specialties or, uh, or of nurses or other clinicians in the hospital. And, um, and that can be really frustrating to hospitalists. So I think that, um, you know, 
there's a, a big question about whether you should pay people for doing uh, quality improvement uh, type of work. Um, uh, on the one hand, if you are not willing to put your money where your mouth is, then um, how, how much do you really value that work that uh, clinicians, that you want clinicians to do? But on the other hand, if you're paying people to do that work, then are you are you kind of killing their intrinsic motivation to do the right thing and creating sort of a nickel and dime situation where people aren't willing to do anything unless they get paid extra money for that? And that is a really tough thing, I think, for um, for hospital administrators and physician leaders, leaders of physician groups to try to to. Um, figure out what's the right way to set expectations and then to um, support those expectations appropriately in terms of the, the rewards that people get for doing that kind of work. Leslie, one of the things you were mentioning was improving the understanding of administrators and physicians of, of one another, right, as a two-way street. Mm -hmm. In your work, how have you seen the most effective ways to achieve that? You know, we talk about having more physicians in leadership roles. We talk about just frankly choosing the right people to be senior administrators and senior leader physicians. But what are the practical ways you see to improve engagement in both directions? Well, one of the most important things, I think, and, and I get a lot of pushback when I suggest this because, because nobody really wants to do it, but I think it's really important to try to develop personal relationships. It is hard to attribute bad intentions to somebody that you go out to dinner with or go have a drink at the local brew pub with or your kids play soccer on the same soccer team or or, or whatever it is, but you have a personal relationship with that person. You know them as, as a complete individual, not just as the suit behind the desk or the, the doctor in, in their scrubs. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, I think it really gives you an opportunity to step back and say, hey, I know this person um, better than that, and I'm not going to attribute bad intentions to them. Uh, uh, and unless and until I've talked with them and, and kind of worked through it. So it, it all comes down to communication. But to me, one of the most important things is um, is is building uh, uh, relationships that will stand the test of those difficult times when you have disagreements about about various things. Um, I think for administrators, one of the things that can be really valuable is to think about how they can more effectively engage uh, physicians and other clinicians in um, decision-making processes. So nobody likes being told what to do, uh, and particularly if they feel like they're being um, uh, dismissed or or. Uh, or downplayed as a result of those decisions uh, that they don't have uh, any involvement in. I think that uh, that's just going to create a lot of ill will that doesn't need to exist. And so we on the hospital administration side need to really be thinking about um, ways to more effectively engage physicians, both to help them understand what's going on uh, so that we're transparent and communicating with them about the challenges we face, but also engaging them in problem solving and decision making. Now, the other side of that coin is that physicians have to be willing to step up to the plate and engage in those kinds of things. And um, I think 
it's it's sometimes easy for physicians to adopt sort of a almost a victim mentality where they just feel like that that's somebody else's problem or responsibility to fix and that that they don't need to uh, do the hard work of stepping up to engage in helping to solve those problems. So it is kind of a two-way street. And uh, yeah, I think, Wendy, you're right that sort of some of these things are chicken and egg things, which comes first. Who, Who's going to blink first, the administrator <laughs> or the physician? But, uh, but let's get there because that's the only way that we can move forward and build healthier relationships. Yeah. And I think the other question is, Sometimes physicians get caught in the conundrum of, if I step away, there's no possible way I can meet my productivity targets. So there has to be some give and take there. You can't expect me to hit the same productivity and spend the same amount of time doing these other initiatives if it co-occurs with my shift, right? So there has to be some recognition there that those two things are, it's a double bind, Yeah, that's really true. And I think that we need to find uh, different and better ways to to define and value physician productivity so that it's not strictly based on the number of patients seen or number of work reviews generated. We need to start thinking about a coin in the realm that's not just the coin. That's right. You know, having conversations outside of that. And, you know, as you were talking, what I was thinking about is we're asking physicians to have the conversations with their patients, to know their patients as a whole person, not just as the condition, and to have conversations about their values and to make treatment decisions around patient values. Mm -hmm. We need to start doing that with each other, too. That's a really good point, and I, I'm not sure I had considered it in exactly that way, but I, uh, I completely agree with what you're saying. And the same approach that physicians use with patients can be used in other areas of their professional life. And to invest the same amount of time and energy in sitting down and understanding uh, where a hospital administrator is coming from and what their values are that you would invest with a patient and family. Um, that can be a really powerful way of framing that for physicians. Yeah. And the administrators doing the same, asking mm-hmm. the administrators to develop that skill as well, to yeah. say to your hospitalist, what are your values? Yeah. Where, where in the hierarchy does your job sit? Does your family sit? Does advancement sit? So I can help you develop to the to be the person that you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Although I will tell you that I have been um, accused of being naive and Pollyanna-ish about a lot of these things and, uh, and told that the, the disconnect and the ill will between physicians and hospital administrators is so severe in some places right now that these kinds of interventions are just not possible. Um, I'm going to push back against that because I really think that um, for each one of us as individuals, uh, we can want other people to do something differently uh, all day long, but we can't make them do it differently. The only thing that we can control is our own uh, thoughts, our own, to some degree, our own emotions uh, and our own actions. And so if if we want things to be better, I think that we have to start with ourselves and not start with blaming the other person and just assuming that that things can't get better. 
because what clinicians really want, what they really want at the very bottom of it is uh, for their patients to be well taken care of and for them to have uh, rewarding, sustainable careers in the hospital. And so if they can keep that in mind, that that's what they really want, then that can change their short-term want. So my short-term want is I want to get angry and lash out at this administrator because they're not listening to me or they're made a decision that I think is stupid. But if I can step back and say, okay, what I really want in the, in the long term is good care for my patients and a rewarding work environment for myself, uh, then maybe I'm going to make different choices about how I approach this with hospital administrators and not just disengage and disconnect from them. Leslie, we could continue to talk for a long time, but our time is getting close. So I want to thank you so much for, for joining us. And I want to thank you also for the work you're doing in trying to get both sides of the uh, medical workforce to, to be working together and thinking together and coming to solutions together. So very grateful for the work you're doing. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Simon and Wendy. Thank you. So... Simon, I, I really love that conversation. And part of the reason I liked it so much was because it really brought out this sense that it isn't just clinicians necessarily who struggle at times with moral injury. Right. This happens to the administrators too. Yeah. And, you know, I think we may feel it in different ways and there may be different causes of it and there may be different ways to address it with different groups. But it is important to remember that we're this is really cliched, but we're in this together. Yeah. And I think as we start to look for points of commonality, as we come out of this, what I can, it's overused, but this kind of trauma that we've all been through, as we start to come out of that, the way to find new solutions is to find common ground. Right. Right. You know, one of the other things that uh, Leslie brought up was something that we haven't been particularly good about on our podcast, and that is bringing the views of the non-frontline physicians to the fore. Because not only are they experiencing some of the same feelings that we're experiencing, but it's only through understanding one another and walking in one another's shoes that we can come to some of those commonalities and start thinking about ways that we can help one another or, um, or start to come to some solutions. Yeah, for sure. And one of the ways that we start to get to those solutions and to find ways to co-produce new ways of being or new ways of coming out of the pandemic is to look to each other and find a way to trust each other. We can't get out of this alone. We've tried that for a long time and, it, and it's not working so well. What we really need to do is figure out how how to rebuild that social capital that was maybe even shaky before the pandemic, but is absolutely critical now to get us back together. Yeah, this is this is going to be built on a foundation of trust and totally agree with you, Wendy. That's where we need to go with this. Yeah. So thank you again for joining us for Moral Matters. Our producer is Dave Young at Widget Studios. To learn more about the nonprofit Moral Injury of Healthcare, you can go to our website at fixmoralinjury.org. If you'd like to support future episodes of the podcast or any of the work that we do, you can make a donation while you're there. 
Our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram links are in the show notes so you can continue the conversation and you can help spread the word by sharing episodes with friends and colleagues. Plus, if you subscribe, rate, and review the show, it makes it easier for others to find us. Thanks for listening. And stay well.